it's forcing partners really to triangulate, as I think the right language that we like to use about how to understand where performance is coming from, and then make those decisions based on multiple inputs of data. And that requires deep coordination between an analytics department and a performance marketing department as well. This is the Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. Today, we have a fascinating roundtable to share with you on the changes around iOS 14. We've invited two of our client partners here at Meta, Meg Youngblood and Arian Ashworth, and business engineer Nandita Rao. Together, they will look at these changes and discuss how industries are adapting amidst iOS 14. Please tell us a bit more about yourselves and disruptors for those who may not be familiar. Hey, everybody. I'm Meg Youngblood. I'm a client partner on the North America Disruptors organization, which is part of our sales team. I've been at Facebook for about seven years now, always working on uh, client-facing roles in our sales organization. And before that, I worked in market research. Hi, everyone. I'm Nandita. I'm a business engineer at Facebook. I've been here for two years and a few months now. And I was assigned to disruptors. Um, when I join and I've stayed here throughout because I love working with them. I think I see them as companies that are uh, doing really well in the space that they've launched in, in a very short amount of time. And they're very interested in new solutions and experimenting and testing and all of that. So it's very exciting to work with them. It's been a good two years. Interesting two years. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say good. <laughs> For sure. Hi, my name is Arian Ashworth. I, um, like Meg, I'm also a client partner in our Disruptors Vertical. I've been here uh, four and a half years, always on Disruptors. I'll share a little bit more about the team, the clients we support. So about five years ago, roughly when I joined, our um, organization formed this dis specialized Disruptors Vertical to work with best-in-class, direct-to-consumer startups. These are businesses that are often born on mobile, they're digital first, and they require um, intense and specialized and focused support from our team. We're oftentimes working with some of the best performance marketers globally, and the goal is to accelerate their growth to IPO, profitability, or an alternative exit. The change in iOS 14 continues to have wide-reaching impact. So what are these changes and how are they affecting businesses? The Apple change can be explained in two major ways. One is the app tracking transparency prompt or the ATT prompt. So Apple requires every uh, company or every advertiser that has an app on the App Store to have this ATT prompt that gives the user an option to say if they want to share their device identifier, something called an IDFA, with the advertiser or not. So this prompt shows up, um, has to show up at first launch after someone has updated to iOS 14.5 or above. And it basically is asking them if they're uh, interested in viewing personalized ads or not. So it has two options, which is ask app not to track and allow. And if you choose allow, basically you're saying you are interested in personalized ads and you're okay with sharing your device identifier with the advertiser. And if you choose the Ask app not to track, you're saying, I'm opting out of personalized ads, I'm not interested in personalized ads, and I don't want the advertiser to have access to my device identifier. So that was one big change. And another thing to understand here is that the 
user needs to allow this on both the advertisers app as well as the advertising platforms app so in our case which is meta the user has to opt in and say allow when they open the meta app like any of the meta apps facebook or instagram and they have to do the same on the advertisers app only then they'll be eligible for personalized advertising in an either or scenario they won't be as you can see that already adds a lot of complications in terms of making sure they're opted in both spaces making sure we respect opt outs correctly and adding the prompt itself how we want to word the prompt how we want to explain what we're actually doing without misleading the user so there were a lot of aspects that came in with this part of the update itself which was the smaller part but also had major implications like technically it was a smaller part but it required a lot of ideating and a lot of care and making sure like a lot of security concerns and then and I, I want to add really quickly that the a lot of that functionality did exist from a user privacy standpoint yeah. if they chose to basically take the steps to opt in or opt this made it more out front at a global level publicly. And I think that was a huge change. So a lot of that did, yeah. that underlying technology to control how your data was used already existed, especially on the meta side within our platforms. Mm -hmm. But this was now requiring the effective handshake between the advertiser and us, the publisher. Yeah, that's correct. Actually, we went from a default opt-in to we have to specify opt-in or opt-out right at the beginning. And then we are we can go into the settings and change the options. But yeah, this was very different from the situation that we had already, which was already in place. Yeah. The second aspect to the change is the SK ad network. So basically, the way we measure iOS or Apple campaigns changed completely, where it goes through their own ad network called the SK ad network. And they have a lot of configurations in place and a lot of timers in place. But the gist of it is that uh, measurement information comes in delayed and comes in an aggregated way. This was a whole new form of measurement that we needed to support. So technically, it required us to make an updates to all our APIs, to our SDKs, to all our tools. We had to look at how mobile web measurement would change and launch AEM. So yeah, these were the two main things that changed. And it implied a lot of technical changes at our end as well to support them. Worth noting that this was fundamentally an incredibly technical update that then had major ripple effects to the global marketing ecosystem. And so I think that's also been a bit of growing pains or part of the learning phase of all of this is that this is at its core a technical upgrade mm -hmm, or a technical yeah. adjustment. And so there's been a lot of, I guess, like compounding ripple effects for how professionals that are more in the, you know, space of creative and marketing strategy and media buying and things like that have had to reconcile understanding a lot of these changes as well, which is where our team has really been able to be that middleman between the business engineering component of addressing, okay, how are we actually technically going to you know keep up with these changes? And then what does that look like from a, in our case, performance marketing strategy? Yeah, and particularly for measurement, uh, measurement and attribution pre-iOS 14 was already difficult and challenging, and it was that never-ending, always pursued journey for every organization. And this absolutely was the biggest curveball thrown, but we'll get into it in a little bit. There are ways that our clients and um, advertisers, businesses 
are adapting to this new privacy-focused future, and overall, it will provide a more positive impact so they can understand the incrementality, the revenue driven from all of their channels, and it's not so siloed. How have clients within Disruptors responded to these changes, and what might other businesses take away or learn from their experience? So those three pillars have always been the stalwarts of effective best practices for performance marketing strategy on Facebook. But we've seen subtle adjustments within within each of those, and that's what we'll really dig into today. So I can start with measurement. As Arian said, this has always been a bit of a white whale, and there is there's never been one perfect source of truth. I think that's been a constant that's frustrated and also enamored performance marketers over the last few decades. There's that famous saying by Wanamaker that says, "50% of my I know 50% of my advertising is working. I just don't know which 50%." So we've improved from there, but we really took notable step back for a period of time in terms of understanding performance, particularly on the app space. As Nandita said, the whole idea of things being delayed and aggregated forced the businesses to shift from micro-optimizations in real time, which we've seen clients staffing armies of teams of buyers or, or user acquisition teams who are tasked with monitoring performance metrics minute over minute, hour over hour, almost day trading effectively to to be able to manipulate where dollars are going and drive the best return. So that fundamentally went away overnight. And it created this huge adjustment on the app side. On the website, there was um, a little more consistency, but still some um, components of delayed reporting and aggregated reporting. And it's forced advertisers to to get out of the minute by minute measurement and more looking at holistic impact and incrementality. And so the narrative, at least what Facebook is recommending and what we're seeing consistently work amongst the advertisers that have managed to grow through iOS 14, who are thriving through iOS 14, or they're the ones that are making notable investments in their measurement stacks. And so instead of just looking at ads manager reporting or a third party reporting, that would be the day-to-day source of truth. They're layering on top of that incrementality testing, and then layering on top of that proxy multipliers, and then layering on top of that some like underpinning source of truth, like a media mix model or an MMM, that channel level incremental impact on what's really driving the next best dollar for a business. And it's forcing partners really to triangulate, as I think the right language that we like to use about how to understand where performance is coming from, and then make those decisions based on multiple inputs of data. And that requires deep coordination between an analytics department and a performance marketing department as well. So that's been a big adjustment. And I would add finance on top of that. (laughs) Yes, and finance. Absolutely. Yes. Being able to be in lockstep throughout throughout your entire organization and having the executive team bought in on this is how we're going to make decisions about what's driving our business. The other component that has been unique to Facebook, and I would say that those are, that's a measurement strategy that should exist channel agnostic. And just one quick thing uh, specific to the disruptors vertical within Meta is that we saw in the second half of last year, over a third of the entire vertical, which is roughly 100 clients, had either onboarded or had started onboarding a media mix model to Mm -hmm. um, address this privacy focused future that they were grappling with. Because to Meg's point, suddenly overnight, the gaps that were already there 
an internal attribution and click-based measurement, even if they did have a robust solution in place already, the gaps just widened. So they needed to pivot quickly to something that was more holistic and not user level based. And then more specific to Meta is the onboarding and adoption of our conversions API. And Mm -hmm. so as we have looked inward at our measurement pipeline and how we are feeding our reporting metrics in our dashboards like Ads Manager and in our internal measurement tools like our Lyft tool, we have shifted that underlying pipeline to be built on top of our conversions API as opposed to being more heavily dependent historically on the Facebook pixel. I think that's very forward thinking of our company, reading the tea leaves of where the industry is continuing to go with additional updates that we anticipate with privacy-focused measures like potential deprecation of cookies in the future. And so that's us shoring up our our foundation to make sure that we have resilient systems in place that can weather future updates. And so for advertisers that have not onboarded onto our conversions API, if you're listening to this, please prioritize that because you don't want to be caught in a situation like we found many advertisers a year ago today, where they just didn't make the necessary adjustments up front to be able to weather privacy changes. And you should expect more to come. I mean, conversions API, as Meg said, is like really important right now. It's going to become like the base of all the solutions we offer, just like Pixel is, but is slowly, you know, going away. And just as Pixel was two years ago, I'm seeing Conversions API being our cornerstone for the future, at least for the next five years, unless something else (laughs) comes up. But that also means that all advertisers really need to focus on getting tech resources that can contribute because conversions API is not as simple as installing a pixel. I know you can make a pixel as complicated as you want, but the baseline is still easy to implement. Whereas with conversions API, even the baseline requires at least one tech person to come in, uh, look at the options they have, which is they either build the API themselves, then you need a team to support it, or you go with the third party integration because we have a few available now and or you use our CAPI gateway solution for which you require an AWS instance. So yeah, it, definitely things are getting more and more technical. So the having one technical resource at your disposal for the marketing team especially is going to be very valuable going forward. That was quite a bit of time on that first pillar of measurement, but that is so core to being able to adapt and grow privacy first world. And so pivoting a little bit into the other components, which are ad tech and creative, I think Nandita can really yeah. you know dig into the ad tech side. Cappy bridges <laughs> measurement and ad tech because it requires some technical expertise to, to implement it. But there are some other features that in particular on our vertical we wanted to talk about that are popping up as these bright spots of performance, one of which is our uh, bid multiplier (laughs) functionality, which is unique to our marketing API. And so that's where it ends with my knowledge. uh, And Nandita can really bring us into how it works and, and how to get it going. Yeah, so with uh, Marketing API is this huge umbrella for all the API solutions we offer. A lot of them have a UI solution as well, where you can go into Ads Manager and perform the same action, or you could use the API to automate it and make things easier for you if you have the tech resources. But Bid Multipliers is a solution that we offer, which is strictly API only. It does not have a UI yet, and... um, 
what it basically does is it lets you have a more nuanced bidding strategy within the same ad set. So you don't have to segment your audiences. Basically, within the same ad set, you pick user groups that you're interested in. Say your product is more geared towards female than male, or if your uh, product does better with a certain age group than uh, a different age group, or if where we are seeing a lot of success is by using the device OS as your user group, where you decide which user group you want to bid higher on. So you assign something called as a multiplier with that particular user group. So say you pick use, uh, device OS as your option and that, or you learned that Android users are more valuable to you than iOS users, then what you would do is assign a higher multiplier to Android and a lower one to iOS so that our algorithm knows which one to prioritize when the time comes. This uh, And the same would go with gender, age group, and I think we have a whole list of options in our documentation as well. Um, as an API itself, it's pretty straightforward, but I think the work that goes into figuring out which user group is really important to you mm -hmm. and what multiplier you want to associate with it, like how much more important is one user group than other, that's where the complications come in here. It isn't as straightforward as like guessing a multiplier and then changing it because adjusting a bit multipliers all the time is also not a good idea. So it's good to figure out the valuable user groups, figure out your multiplier and then go with it. Yeah, and we are definitely seeing uh, success with people who have tried this, the first few advertisers who've tried this with mm -hmm. different user groups that are valuable to them. And at a like high level, the theme here that this all ladders up to is signal. So yeah. even pre-iOS, like Signal was the new targeting, like the whole concept of slicing and dicing audiences, which is what Meta was known for five, six years plus ago, is gone. Yes, there's over <laughs> 3 billion people on the platform and they're there, but using bid multipliers, conversions API, post-conversion optimization, it's all about consolidating as much Signal as possible so the machine learning can do its job. And this isn't like really unique to Meta, like, most all platforms I'm aware of have machine learning that works better with more signal. So the solutions that we're building are more advanced to keep that signal consolidated while also valuing what's best about your business, Consider like the age group example. Yep. And what I like about bid multiplier for that exact reason is I think there was a bit of a scramble, frankly, at least the... I observed with the clients that I support, if we go back a year ago of throwing spaghetti against the wall and trying to understand what's going to work and what audience tactic, what account structure, we're getting to these nuances of how you would actually buy ads on Facebook. But I think there was a deviation from the historical norm, which we had spent years working on signal aggregation, yeah. signal consolidation, case study after case study, data point after data point, reaffirming that aggregated signals was the path of least resistance, was the most cost efficient way to buy on our platform. And I think doubt crept in, at least on the buying side, after the signal loss of, is that still going to work? And I frankly think from a client facing sales side of the business, we didn't necessarily know the answer anymore immediately. And it took months to generate that understanding and reaffirm that on our end, Yes, nothing has changed in terms of the recommendation to continue to consolidate signals. For the reason Arian just said, machine learning fundamentally didn't change as a result of iOS 14's update. And so bid multipliers is great in that regard of that the more you understand 
your business, right? The more you use your own first party data, segmentation work, any like additional investment you've made in understanding who your consumer is and where they're coming from, or, you know, basically like behavioral breakdowns about them, the more applications you can find for bid multipliers mm-hmm. without having to create the super fragmented buying strategy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where when we're se- when I say bright spots or we're seeing this as driving growth, it's driving cost efficiencies. And for performance marketers, cost is fundamental mm-hmm. to your return on investment. And I think that's a, a notable thing to keep in mind is that regardless of whether you activate features unique like bid multipliers, keep consolidating, keep aggregating signals and trust that is the most efficient way to keep your costs down on our platform from a buying strategy standpoint. Yeah. Actually, uh, talking about investing more in learnings on your own platform, uh, that uh, brings me to uh, another solution that we're seeing a little bit of success with is LTV value, basically the predicted long-term value of user. Basically, advertisers know which user would be more valuable to them, right? Like say they offer both some products that you use more frequently and some uh, that are one-time use only. So basically the products that you're going to be using frequently and for a long time, those users are going to be more valuable to them. And a lot of advertisers have models in place to calculate this LTV value for those users. And we are building solutions that will help optimize with that value. So far, we, we we offer value optimization. This is like taking it up a notch where instead of optimizing for a specific value range of the products being bought on your website, you're actually optimizing for who you consider as more valuable. So that is something that is also showing up as a successful option for advertisers who are investing in learning more about their own businesses. And before I worked on the disruptors business, I spent a couple of years working on the gaming business and the mobile Uh gaming business where LTV optimization is fundamental to their user acquisition strategy. It's very interesting that hasn't necessarily bled into other verticals, but we're seeing in verticals, internal Facebook term, I guess, Mm -hmm. of you know, how we think about how our clients are structured, but we're seeing more and more adoption of PLTV modeling, Mm -hmm. LTV modeling. Yeah. And I think it, lends ourselves to the last topic we'll talk about here, which is uh, investing in resources and analytics departments and things like that. The last thing I wanted to bring up as a a pillar to your initial question of where are advertisers making changes and where are they seeing growth is in creative. Mm -hmm. Um, And Arian, I don't know if like to me, the things that stand out are obviously like new formats and things like that, but then branded content AKA influencer marketing, AKA creator marketing, (laughs) different semantics. But for the disruptors vertical in particular, we've really been at the tip of the spear, I think for years now in terms of seeing our clients leverage that creative tactic and creative format. And now it's ubiquitous. I mean, it's in every vertical and we're even seeing it bleed into other channels well beyond social as well. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's not even necessarily iOS specific. Creator marketing was thriving already in you know on our platform prior to that but to the point Arian was making in the beginning about signal aggregation it's like creative investment creative differentiation and creative inputs are basically the number one factor that an advertiser can really control in terms yeah. of what they're putting yeah. into our system so it should not be an afterthought you should be leading with creative design and creative intention first and foremost for marketing yeah and i don't think any marketer 
would think to themselves, oh my gosh, we haven't been investing in creative yet, but <laughs> it's a shift in the velocity and how the formats and how you think about investing in creative and resourcing your teams. Branded content, yes, influencers, but sometimes when we think of influencers and a lot of what we see is user-generated content, very lo-fi, which is great, but there's opportunities to use your creator partners, even your brand partners. Like The function of branded content can be applied to maybe a partnership you have with another company, like Mm -hmm. yes, an influencer. It could be if you're like CEO or someone within your organization has a great story to tell about why they founded this business. Like get that story out there and just use the functionality to your advantage. Because when you use that functionality to tap back into the signal side, you're finding new audiences on our platform. Tapping back into creative, short form video. So like our reels Mm -hmm. placement, that is, is... Mark shared in our earnings call, the fastest growing engagement on Instagram. And now it's rolled out into Facebook. So if you're a marketer and you haven't tapped into Facebook Reels, that's going to be growing. You may be saying to yourself, oh, but delivery is really low. Um, That's intentional. It's only going to grow just as stories only grew a few years back. And we're even seeing in disruptors and some other businesses that are a bit more Uh, forward-leaning, hiring specific Gen Z content creators, which is a fancy word for short-form video (laughs) creators for um, placements like Reels. And when we think, like to mention about creative diversification, it's it's like, so what does that mean? It's like, yes, format differentiation or format diversification, I could say, to ensure that you're designing for things like stories, Reels, but also having video that doesn't follow the same protocol. Having different aesthetics, like how can you create and show your product and get those different unique value propositions out there. And rather than doing that over the course of a year or even a quarter, like staffing your team with video editors who can quickly action and put a velocity of assets in market to test and learn because like creative signal is the new targeting. So having that differentiated creative in market the algorithm's naturally going to go after different people who would be most likely to resonate with that versus maybe what you've always been doing. And literally just even think about it from a tactical execution standpoint. If you have an ad set, which on Facebook is where when you're building ads, you indicate who you want the ad to reach. So if you have an ad set that would be you know, prospecting, somebody who's never been to your website, never been to your app, right? You're a net new customer that you're attempting to acquire. And you set the parameters to say adults 18 plus in the United States, 230 plus million people are in that audience. And so it's a gross assumption to assume that every single one of those 200 plus million people are going to want to see the one static product ad that you've put into that ad set. And so creative differentiation, the phrase Arian just referenced Think of it as what's the suite of creative options that you want to give the system the choice to choose from so that Nandita might get making, let's say we run a a t-shirt company, you might get the blue t-shirt, I might get the video of the person in the gray t-shirt, and Arian might get the reels asset of the person in the the leopard. You seem like leopard. Thank you, I appreciate that. (laughs) But the idea being is, you know, we might not all convert if that's your intention, off of seeing the blue t-shirt. So give our system choice. And as we 
learn, we meaning our system and meta learn, we will refine the delivery over time to understand and model in real time using machine learning, which creative is going to resonate for which impression. So the more options you give the system, generally we see the ad set is healthier, has lower mm -hmm. costs and drives better performance. And I think that's been the case well before iOS 14. But as we think about what's working, that still works. And so mm -hmm. ensure that you're feeding our system with the right inputs. One thing I would be remiss if I didn't mention is we've talked about like creative diversification, signal consolidation. I would also add in signal diversification we're seeing as a big theme across the vertical and the industry. Um, historically, uh, performance-focused clients optimized towards purchase, like that's still true today, absolutely. And they're even going to deeper funnel through conversions API using a product called post-conversion optimization, like using that rich LTV data um, that you already have about your customers to better inform the algorithm. What we haven't touched on is going upper funnel, mm -hmm. uh, which is sometimes a naughty word and performance <laughs> marketing. But truly, like we're seeing advertisers that are using even just like a small sliver of their overall budget to be upper funnel focused, maybe using like in-stream auction or reserve, for example, or even just optimizing towards an event that's farther above the funnel, it helps the algorithm find the new audiences. It gets your message out there about your product, uh, particularly for direct-to-consumer, who they need to be discovered. Like you're not Coca-Cola, which Coca-Cola obviously, and like big CPG brands do a, a lot of brand marketing and advertising because they don't have that benefit of that lower funnel, like direct first party data. Right. They spent a hundred years building a brand. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we know who they are, but guess what? We may not know about the business that has been around for three years. They just raised a series C last year. They're looking to grow. They have hopes of an IPO in a few years. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you absolutely have to be cost focused, but you also have to be smart about telling your brand story. So people know who you are and it's not only great for brand storytelling and getting your product in the hands of more consumers, but it also helps like, and this isn't like unique to Meta, this also helps across other platforms as well. So people say, oh yeah, I saw that thing. Mm -hmm. Or I was watching this on uh, YouTube or on Meta Watch, or, oh, I saw like this out of home ad, like it helps connect the dots. Whereas if we're only optimizing towards a lower funnel uh, signal with your best performance marketing creative, to Meg's point, if the universe is here, we're really just going after like a small oh segment God. of those people yeah. and just circling around. So get creative with your signal diversification as well. Obviously, we're passionate about this topic because we could talk about it forever. But to bring this <laughs> yeah. full circle, to do what Arian just suggested, which we you know absolutely support in terms of building that a healthy long-term business is establishing a brand and an awareness and an affinity and sentiment. You have to be able to measure that. And I think that's, you know, we can bring ourselves to the top of the conversation. Yeah. The last click attribution is not going to tell you that brand marketing is working, but it's going to look at that and it's going to say, this is ineffective. This is a waste of money. Put the money back into the conversion optimized campaign. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the, that full stack of measurement that we went through of incrementality and MMM, having those in place will allow marketing organizations to be more confident in making those quote-unquote upper funnel investments because they'll really be able to capture the downstream yeah. impact and the halo effect effectively on their business. Without that in place, I think marketers feel that they're either one flying blind or they feel confident that it's a waste of money because it's not paying back in a 24-hour window. 
branding can take months to years to really establish itself in terms of um, being able to measure the impact. And so it requires patience. So knowing all of this, I think that leads back to our original questions of, okay, how are marketers adapting? And I think what we've observed in terms of how we support our clients is sometimes we've, to be totally honest, we've found ourselves in situations where a client feels suddenly under-resourced. How are you guys seeing, you know, what are the key hires or the adjustments in org structure that, that some of our most performant companies have already made or are hiring into and making that are allowing them basically to continue the momentum and to not have been as disrupted by signal loss as some of the other clients? Yeah. And I can't count how many articles in the press I've seen about D2C is suffering, like, like disruptors are like moving budget away from Facebook because it doesn't work. What we're truly seeing is that the disruptors that are harnessing this new privacy focused future, like, yes, it's disruptive, like, not to tie it back to our own vertical, <laughs> but it truly is. It's it's, it's, what, a, it's what consumers want. It's, it's a huge shift in how marketers not only go about their day-to-day, how they even evaluate what's working, and it really makes them question everything. The unique advantage that D2C and disruptors have during this unique time period is that they haven't spent the past 5, 10, 30 years Mm. staffing a team that is built under one philosophy. They often have people in their senior leadership that having been born on mobile and digital, like understand that click-based measurement, particularly last click, is not an effective form of measurement. So there isn't this hierarchical like philosophy change that needs to happen within their organization. And a lot of disruptors do not have 50% plus marketing analytics, data science teams. They're able to adjust really quickly. And that's what we're seeing, which I alluded to earlier with a third of the vertical already adopting MMM. So it's really easy for them to pivot to... 360 measurement, having these different sources of truth, like not throwing out what they've already done, but just reframing how they evaluate, how they go about marketing and understanding that like, yes, this obviously helps with our performance marketing, but it also gives us an opportunity to understand the true impact of brand marketing and upper funnel, because truly like in the past when it's very siloed, there's the idea that performance marketers have to prove success to get more budgeters to get more budget where brand marketers have the benefit of the doubt and that's not necessarily true everywhere and both are very important but they're both tasked with performing and when we pivot to this holistic solution such as MMM while also using your internal attribution and running experiments, holdout studies across all channels, not just on meta. Thankfully, we have a tool that makes it very easy to do so. We're able to quantify that halo impact. So the hiring that we're seeing and that was already important pre-iOS is having growth marketing analytics in place, not just any analytics, like someone or someone and people who understand the value of RCT, random control trial experiments, lift studies to understand the true incrementality of its channel and who are able to work on creating that optimal measurement stack because ultimately all marketing needs to roll up under this one umbrella 
Nandita, I'm going to let you speak to the end resources that <laughs> we're seeing marketers focus on. As we were talking about with Conversions API, it isn't just this thing. Yes, you need it. And you won't just need it for Meta. Everyone else is starting to think about this now as well, which yeah. is, imp- is really important. But it isn't like a set it and forget it type of thing. It truly is a living, breathing integration. Yeah, I definitely find it easier to work with clients who have at least one or two end resources in place. That way, a lot of technical stuff, I can just talk to the engineer and they can get it done. Whereas a lot of times, if I were to mention an API to a marketing team person, it sounds scary and it is overwhelming when you don't work with these things every day it turns into something much bigger than it actually is. Like even like giving the example of BitMultiplies API, the actual API call itself is pretty straightforward, but because it's an API and people aren't familiar with APIs, it seems to be like a much bigger challenge than it actually is. But if you have tech resources on the call with you, then they will be able to sort it out. Like for one of our clients, the a technical lead was there and he was just able to be like, oh yeah, we can get that done. So if you have that person in these conversations, it makes it much easier to implement things quickly, be at the top of the, like whatever opportunity presents itself, you have a tech resource to jump right on it and get going instead of requesting for resources or waiting for bandwidth. You lose out on a lot of opportunities that might be there just, or or you lose out on being the first few people of an opportunity when you could Mm -hmm. have seen bigger results. So yeah, I definitely think having at least one tech resource or a tech lead on marketing calls is super helpful. Uh, But having a tech team in place would be ideal. Obviously, it's understandable if that's not possible. But at least in conversations with different advertising channels, you should. it's only going to give you a bigger advantage if you have a tech resource on it. So I've heard <clears throat> data analysts, data engineers, mm-hmm. software engineers, yeah. and earlier you mentioned a Gen Z And I would say marketing (laughs) focused data scientists and analytics. And uh, another thing Nandita and I have personally seen um, with a few partners is people say, oh, we have that. And they're here for this project. And then the time is up. So like having people who like understand like what we're working towards and are able to action on the insights that a team may have about their customer base or like what happened after a sale period. Let's use that data to inform how we're optimizing on meta because they have that familiarity and that understanding of the business rather than coming in on a specific project. We're able to do like deeper work. We're able to recommend more bespoke solutions and optimizations that otherwise wouldn't happen if that knowledge gap was there. Yeah. And for our partners, as we opened and Arian explained, what a lot of them have in common is that they're venture backed, still private. I think if you're listening to this and you find yourself in a similar stage of your business evolution, you might be thinking, I can't afford to hire you know, five engineers right now. It's just not in the scope of my budget. There are third party companies that offer all of yeah, these solutions, true. which obviously comes at a cost as well. So I think like for the CEO or the chief revenue officer listening to this, maybe we're flattering ourselves, but that's a cost balance to consider is 
do I outsource initially for functionality and talent? Let's say some of the measurement solutions that we've talked about, or creative is always a popular one that can be outsourced. Or do I make the investment in-house? And thinking about literally the macro effects of what's going on in the economy of the great resignation and salaries and the like power that's in the hands of the you know applicants right now and basically like desperation for resources, that is a consideration too. And something that frankly I've observed with some of my partners is an awareness to staff these roles, but an actual inability to in, in some instances. And that can slow down business growth as well. And so a willingness to potentially temporarily outsource for the sake of efficiency and keeping the business going and getting these learnings could be a bridge to always staffing an in-house team as well. Thanks for having us today uh, and for giving us this platform to share what we've been observing. These are the conversations that we're having day in and day out. And so it's always great to get a chance to, to share this message more broadly with the market. I think if there's a takeaway here is that 14's update was certainly disruptive. There's no discounting that or, or, or avoiding that. But there are concrete actions and investments that marketers can take to future-proof their businesses for what will inevitably be additional changes coming down the road as well. And so we hope that marketers feel that Facebook can still be that number one channel for demand generation that it has established itself as. And we are absolutely seeing that with many partners and that we personally support as well. And I think headlines can oftentimes be misleading. There's a lot of concrete actions that you can take and hopefully we've given high level and sometimes a more in-depth perspective on what those can be. So thanks for having us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode on the impact and challenges of iOS 14. To learn more about data privacy changes from a digital advertising perspective, check out our episode titled First Party Data Governance with guests Sean Bedford and Adrian Nash. You can find links to that episode and any other resources mentioned in today's show notes. Thank you for listening to the Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get notified whenever a new episode is released. And help us share these insights with others by leaving a five-star review. Thank you for listening.